one day she was particularly in the fog, and I thought, let me try a song. And I began to sing. Mm -hmm. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. She sang note for note, word for word, what I sang, and I was visibly weeping. This is Caregiver Storyteller, produced by Caring Kind, the heart of Alzheimer's caregiving. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Caregiver Storyteller, a storytelling podcast about Alzheimer's and dementia caregiving. I'm Chris Doucette, and I'll be interviewing caregivers to get their stories about Alzheimer's and dementia caregiving. Occasionally, I'll also interview the authors, advocates, researchers, healthcare professionals, and people with Alzheimer's and dementia to hear their stories, too. So, are you ready? Here we go. My name is Cynthia Hawkins Legaretta, Cindy to my friends. I live on Union Square, and my relationship to Alzheimer's and dementia, I lost my two elder beloveds, the mother of my heart, Miss Kitty Spompanato, and most recently, my birth mother, Lucille. And I cared for her at home. Were you the primary caregiver for both? No, Kitty was actually in a nursing home, and she was well, well cared for, but in a very official nursing home setting. When we were told we were disqualified for Medicaid, what we did instead was do the default choice, and we took my mother home, and she lived with my sister Val. So Val and I both shared in the initial caregiving responsibility, and then it became my husband would come over and bring groceries, and Mm -hmm. my niece would pitch in, and it, it, it kind of grew from there. But basically, Val and I took care of mother at home. And you you made a distinction between the mother of your heart and your biological mother. Tell me more about those two women and how you, I know how you met one probably, Mm -hmm. but how did you meet the other who was uh, a friend of yours? Well, Kitty was Sancho to my Quixote. She lived in the neighborhood and we just became very good friends. And I suppose... It was just that simple. It grew from there. She was actually just about the same age as my mother, my birth mother. They were both petite, feisty little Italian ladies, Uh and they had so much in common. Um, Where did you live when you met her? On, I I have lived on Union Square for the last 43 years, and so we buddied up in the neighborhood, as you often do. You get in a conversation with someone, and the next thing you know, you see them again in the supermarket, and before uh-huh. you know uh-huh. it, you're great pals. What drew you to Kitty? What what, what did you um, have in common that formed this relationship? Well, I'll tell you, it's an interesting thing. She had some issues with her birth daughter. They didn't get on very well. So she would often come over and visit with me, and at the time, my birth mother and I were in a period of estrangement. I wonder, and I, I often smile about this, that we each had something that the other one needed mm. and became good friends from there. She was very much the mother energy, mm-hmm. and I was very much the daughter energy. Even though we were not related, people would often see me in the neighborhood and say, oh, I just saw your mom. <laughs> and I'd say, well, you mean Kitty? She's not my mom. And it was an ongoing joke with us. What was she like? She was adorable. She was uh, 
strong and bright and like a lot of women of her generation, including my mother, did not get past high school, mm-hmm. but had a wisdom and a greatness of heart and a kind of capacity that made her so sought after by people in trouble or people who just wanted a good dish of spaghetti. Uh-huh. <laughs> she was very good at that too. Yeah. And what did you what did you do together? What was uh, you had a real friendship? It sounds like. Mm, oh, indeed. Um, we would uh, in in my story, still Sancho in the Chicken Soup book. I talk about this. We walk to Chinatown. That's mm. quite a walk from Union Square. Absolutely. New Yorkers will attest to that. And in the old days, we'd put on our walking shoes and and grab our coats, and off we'd go. We'd go to Chinatown and have some lunch and walk back up Broadway. It was great exercise. She was a Tai Chi practitioner, Mm. and she studied it in her late 60s, early 70s because she had terrible arthritis. And to see her do the long form, those people who know Tai Chi know what that long form entails. And she was taught by a gentleman named Lawrence Galante. And she did it all from memory, Mm. which, of course, when her Alzheimer's began to take on, uh, was very sad to watch because all those things that she had learned to do began to fall away, as is often the case with Alzheimer's. Talk about that. How did uh, how did Alzheimer's kind of introduce itself in in her life, and 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 how did you see that uh, play out? She started using, uh, and and I know other people have heard this and seen it in an elder beloved. She would start using substitute words when she couldn't remember something. She'd say uh, the, the whatchama call it. Mm-hmm. And I often chided her about it, and I said, no, come on, you're being lazy. I didn't realize that she was beginning to lose language. Mm-hmm. And one day I called her and I said, what are you up to? What are you doing today? And she said, I'm, um, I'm cleaning. I'm cleaning the big white thing in the kitchen. You put food in it. She could tell me the function of a refrigerator, mm-hmm. but she could not name it. Mm. And the same thing over time began to happen to my birth mother, loss of language and the ability to express oneself. And at first, it, it shows, it presents as a sort of compensatory. My mother said once, um, you know those white things, you pull them out of the box one at a time. She was mm-hmm. talking about tissues. Mm-hmm. She couldn't name or use, uh, come up with the word tissue. Yeah. Kitty had classic Alzheimer's, which I think, I'm not a doctor, but it progressed. The downhill path was much more right. relentless, and not just language loss, but mobility, orientation, mm-hmm. spatial sense, mm-hmm. selfhood, mm-hmm. the things that, that define us. She began to lose them. My mother, what happened with her was there was slippage. She was always a good bookkeeper. She always knew how to balance her checkbook, and she mm-hmm. could do it blindfolded. Mm-hmm. She began to start having problems. And we just, as is often the case, shrugged it off and said, oh, you know, mom's busy, she's preoccupied, and whatever. But then she began to obsess about the fact that her bank balance wasn't quite what it should be. Mm-hmm. In the old days, that never happened. She'd simply go to the bank and print out whatever slips she needed. But she began to drift away 
from the kinds of coping and just life skills that, that had been hers forever. Mm-hmm. Who is the caregiver for your friend Kitty? Well, Kitty became ill, and her daughter, I'm sorry to say, predeceased her. Oh. Her daughter developed some, I, I'm still not sure what the medical name for it was, but what happened was they sold the apartment and the apartment fetched a very nice price, and the money was used for Kitty's caregiving. She mm-hmm. was um, at a place which was formerly the home of the Sages, I think it was called, on the Lower East Side. Mm-hmm. And she was well, well looked after. Um, my mother was cared for at home, as I said. But Kitty Val, was, right? yeah, yeah, but Kitty was in fact in a, a very fine nursing home. How did you cope with your friend's Alzheimer's then during this period? I mean, that must have been tough to, for you to see her well, decline. I, I did some homework to sort of keep my despair at bay. Mm-hmm. And I learned that people with Alzheimer's, even though they will lose language, they often don't lose hearing, a sense of smell, mm-hmm. and a sense of touch. So what I would do, since Kitty and I would often cook together, I would bring things with me to visit when I would, on visiting days, uh, garlic Mm -hmm. was a favorite thing. And you put that under someone's nostrils. (laughs) Well, she's Italian, right? Yes, indeed. (laughs) Whether they have dementia or not, and it's Mm -hmm. quite a pungent flavor and smell. And, And she would pick up on it. And one day I actually had lavender in her hands and she took a very, very large Mm -hmm. inhale and with enormous effort said, lavender. Mm -hmm. And she had not spoken since I don't even remember when, and I was just close to tears. But I was able now and then to sort of tease a response Mm -hmm. out of her. And whenever I did, it um, it was enormously rewarding. What about music? Did, uh, did, did she have a favorite music that she would listen to? Well, I mentioned in my story, Still Sancho, um, I, I used to sit with her in her wheelchair, mm-hmm. and by then she was no longer mobile at all. And I would take my forehead, and I would literally lean my head against hers. Mm. And one day she was particularly in the fog, and I thought let me try a song. And I began to sing. Mm -hmm. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. She sang note for note, word for word, what I sang. And I was visibly weeping. Yeah, yeah. So yes, she absolutely loved music. And it was one, again, one of those moments. And I tell people who have a loved one with dementia, whether you're home caring them or visiting them in a hospital or, or a nursing home environment, watch for those. They're, they're golden moments. Mm-hmm. And particularly someone like Kitty or my mom mm-hmm. with whom you have always had that beautiful open dialogue. It's a treasure. And it's, and it's a memory mm-hmm. when they're gone God rest them, you'll have that. Yeah. And, and I do. I think of that story, and I smile. Yeah, yeah. 
And at, at about this time, your, your mother was also diagnosed, right? We took her to a very large institution which had a geriatric mm-hmm. clinic and practice. Mm-hmm. And we decided that there had been enough slippage, enough absent-mindedness. By this time, my mother was saying things like, those people outside, the workmen who were doing renovation on mm-hmm. the wall, are talking about me. Someone has come into the house and they've eaten all the food. Now, my mother was suspicious and wary of strangers by then, so we would go shopping and bring food. And she didn't want anyone in the house except me or my sister. Mm -hmm. So I would bring food and I knew that no one had come into the house. So what we did was we decided it was time for a clinical evaluation. Mm -hmm. And we had kind of come to the end of the anecdotal part of all this and we needed professional uh, guidance. And the geriatric practice said, uh, Lucille has cognitive losses, memory losses, and um, issues that are consistent with and supportive of a diagnosis of Alzheimer's. Now, it turned out, as time would show us, she actually had mixed senile dementia. But Alzheimer's is a posthumous diagnosis. In many ways, they have to actually look in the brain and Mm -hmm. see, are there plaques and tangles? Because Mm -hmm. that's what presents my mother may or may not have had those, but she did have memory loss, combativeness, anxiety, mm-hmm. paranoia, personalization. It's raining. Oh, the, the rain is something to do with me. And, and so we got a diagnosis, and then about a year later, by that time we knew we had to move mom out of her apartment because she couldn't live mm-hmm. alone safely, mm-hmm. we went back. And the the memory losses and cognitive losses were consistent with time going on. Not as relentless, as I said, with classic Alzheimer's, but there was definitely dementia. Mm -hmm. And it was something that we could not by that time ignore. Were you able to end your estrangement with her by this time? Very interesting. As my mother began to lose more and more of her ability to care for herself, she would still speak about that I particularly was estranged from her and my sister Val. Mm -hmm. And she would express the wish that we would all come back together. Ironically, my mother's illness was precisely the thing that did it. And one afternoon, my sister and I were sitting. We were both exhausted. By this time, she had moved mother in with her to Westbeth. My sister put her coffee down and looked at me and said, well, I'll tell you one good thing. I got my sister back. So yes, in a very strange way. In a tragic way, (laughs) but still. Tragic, but heartwarming, as it turned out. And we also knew by that time that we would have to work together as a family, roll up our sleeves and share, which is exactly what Val and I did, share the caregiving tasks. And then as exhausted as we were on many, many days, because by then mom was wearing diapers, her memory had gone, Mm -hmm. there were days when she was somewhat combative Mm -hmm. and she needed to be talked around to feel calmer. All of those things took a toll. And I must say, it is not for the faint of heart, but there are 
so many rewards to be gained. Like what? We were there with our mother the very last day of her life and beyond. In fact, we kept vigil Mm -hmm. at her bedside. There is simply no way that a person can go through an experience like that Mm -hmm. and not be completely changed forever. I am a big coward at the dentist. Uh Well, after tending my mother Uh the final moments of her life, I'm not afraid to have my teeth worked on. (laughs) You know, your your whole, your priorities change so much. And death is the big kahuna. It's the big Mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. And if you can maintain some sort of perspective, you look at life differently. And I am enriched for it. And Val and I talk about it very often. She even said going in, I objected to her bringing mom to uh, live with her because I thought there could be some other arrangement. And Mm -hmm. when Medicaid disqualified us, we simply had no other choice. The default choice became one of the greatest gifts of our lives. We had to get three or four years down the road to to know that. Mm -hmm. But I don't think we'd have done anything different. It sounds like you have a, a good partner with your sister, a good partnership. I'll tell you something else. Whatever unfinished business you have in a family, mm-hmm. when an elder beloved develops dementia, whatever business is still on the table, it's going to come out. Whether it's money, whether it's favoritism, mm-hmm. sibling rivalry, anything like that. And, and you need to kind of, I, I always say, get your ducks in a row mm-hmm. because the priority will be the care of your elder beloved, and that's going to take center stage. Val and I were lucky in that mother's assets were quite modest. Mm-hmm. We put um, what's called a power of attorney in place for what little we did have, and being that home care is so modest in, in terms of expenditures and we were also lucky that mom did not have any pre-existing medical conditions her heart was sound her Mm -hmm. blood pressure was good Mm -hmm. she had no cancer no diabetes so we didn't have to look forward to anything but the uh the dementia Mm -hmm. progressive and we were able to handle that but yes we did it as a team my sister would call me and say bring me a dozen eggs and some milk and whatever, and we had a regular schedule of laundry, caregiving, Mm -hmm. and and it made, you have to almost be military in a sense of, okay, here's what we're gonna do today, and it kept us from going utterly bananas, but again, it also opened us to the possibility that mom would be well cared for, Mm -hmm. and by people who she knew. Mm -hmm. Towards the latter part of all this, she didn't know who I was. Mm-hmm. She didn't know my name, but she used to refer to me as the nice nurse from the agency. <laughs> That's not a bad and, description. And I, and I even said to a friend of mine who's, who's quite, quite religious, she said, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because God will sort all that out. Your mother's being cared for, and isn't that the main thing? Right. And I, I said, I can't argue. Yeah. Do you remember the first time when your mother forgot your name or who you were? Does that stand out for you as a memory? Well, I think when I came into her room, my sister had set up the room, 
and I walked in, and by then she was having trouble remembering also Val. She mm-hmm. also she referred to Val as that other one, mm-hmm. that other one. My mother knows that we love her, and I was putting her fresh socks on one day, and she looked at me and said, how did you get to be so wonderful? She might not have known who I was, but she knew I was taking care care of her. her. Mm -hmm. And and I said, for all the years she took care of us, Mm -hmm. we're saying thank you, which of course is the working title of my book. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. How did you equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to handle it? I was very lucky in that doing the kind of work I did as a building manager and super and having pets at home and doing laundry and cooking, I had hands-on life skills. Mm -hmm. I was able to clean. I was able to cook. I was able to tidy up a room and put things together. And then I decided to do some homework. And during my research, I came upon a remarkable woman, a woman named Verna Benner Carson, who is the Alzheimer's whisperer, and she is Mm -hmm. based in Falston, Maryland. And she, in fact, is a nurse, a trainer of nurses, a lecturer, and a published writer. And I began to write to her, mm-hmm. and we exchanged, oh my goodness, I, I, uh, this room would be filled if, <laughs> if each one was a slip of paper. Um, <clears throat> how do you think I might do this? Here's how I feel about that. What do you think is the best way to, and we would often improvise, I'm toileting my mother, I'm diapering my mother, here's what I think would be a good way to do that. Mm -hmm. How to roll her over in the bed and keep from distressing her and um, making her feel too anxious. And Verna would come back to me and say, that's a great idea. Mm -hmm. And, And so often it was a combination of improvisations and thinking, what would I want done to me? What would I want done for me? Mm-hmm. And that's easy when it comes to a bath. Um, my mother couldn't get in and out of the tub, so I'm a great fan of many things Japanese. So I put uh-huh. a little step stool in the tub, mm-hmm. covered it with a towel, helped her to step in, made sure the water was not too hot, and I cleaned her. The first few times she was quite anxious, but after a while she knew that that nurse from the agency <laughs> was right, here. Right. And there was that bond of trust. Yeah. And maybe she had, in a way, a deep, deep memory. This is your daughter. Mm-hmm. This is one of the people who loves you so much and is going to see that you're comfortable and clean. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'll never know that one, mm-hmm. but I think that may be true. What was she like, your mom? My mom? My mother raised us as a single parent, mm-hmm. and that in a sense dictated the thank you part later on. Mm -hmm. She grew up in Philadelphia, came to New York, became a big band singer. Oh, really? Yes, met my father. And I'm sorry to say their their union did not go happily. And my father, for reasons of his own, and the breach was healed many years later, my father is also now deceased, just disappeared from our lives. Mm. And my mother raised us on her own. She had top secretarial skills, so she always worked. Mm -hmm. I became 
the mom at home, which I suspect may also have something to do with the skills I developed as a teenager. You're the older sister? Uh, yeah. Okay. My sister Val is four years younger than I. And <clears throat> we just took care of one another, did what we had to do, and did not have any help. Um, her mother was also a single parent. My grandmother was widowed. Mm -hmm. So the tradition is strong in our family of powerful women. We say, butt-kicking Italian broads, uh -huh. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, but there's a real element of truth to that because we did what was needed, and then as time went on into our older age, mm -hmm. my capable mom was not quite so capable. Mm -hmm. And it was time for me to take over. What is a story that you have uh, from your mom that lives on in your memory? Like when you think about your life together, you and Val and your lives together with your mom, what's a moment uh, that you think of? I mean, she's a big band singer. I, I, can, I can only imagine it must have been kind of amazing. They do say, and I know the Music and Memory Project talks about this quite a bit, uh, that music is hardwired into the brain yes, in a particular way. Mm -hmm. And people with dementia, even very late Alzheimer's, can, if you give them a, um, a little headset mm -hmm. and play some music, come back to life. Right. And it is, it is extraordinary. And the Music and Memory Project, of course, is online. You can look at it. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it's a sight to behold. My mother was a Stone Sinatra fan, mm -hmm. and we are all of us in my family lyric mavens, and we will recite lyrics to songs mm -hmm. and chuckle about it. My sister and I just spoke about something yesterday. And um, late on in her dementia, and this must have been perhaps two months before she died, she mm -hmm. died in June of 2017, apropos to nothing, she was walking in the living room, and she stopped, turned to me, and said, my story, and then she took a beat and said, is much too sad to be told. Those are the opening lines of, I get a kick out of you. When we were children, we listened to that record until we just practically wore it out. The lyrics were intact in her mind, right. she was able to say, my story is much too sad to be told. And when Val and I picked our jaws up off the floor, we realized that uh -huh. there was someone, the lights, the porch light was still on, someone right. was still at home. Right. It's one of those golden moments. Mm -hmm. So if she died in uh, July 2017? She died in June 2017. June 2017. Yeah. We were with her the last... She, she stopped eating, and she did not get out of bed that final week. Mm -hmm. And that final week, my sister and I were at her bedside mm -hmm. constantly. Mm -hmm. Her eyes were fogged over. She was not speaking at all. She was no longer verbal. And we would come and go and sit with her. But the sounds of life continued. The dog would walk in and out. Mm -hmm. the television, the music, the phone ringing, the sounds of life were still there. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very important because hearing 
I, I imagine that parallels the idea of music. Right. It's it remains. Right. How did your life and Val's life too change after she died? My sister brought mom to live in her apartment, mm-hmm. and just not having mother's physical presence there created a a real tear in the fabric. Even though it may have been stressful, even though there were moments when we wanted to tear our hair out, mm-hmm. mom was gone. And the other thing is when, when our mother, before we moved her in and mom lived out in Queens, whenever Val would have a loss or a win, she'd call mom up, mm-hmm. she'd reach for the phone. Mm-hmm. And many's the time after mom's death, mm-hmm. Val would find herself reaching for the phone yeah. and then smacking her forehead saying, oh, yeah. I can't call her. Although my mother made clear what her wishes were, she said, here's what I want done, I want to be cremated, I want this, there's the insurance policy. Those loose ends were tied up Mm -hmm. because my mother, being thorough, thought to do that. Mm -hmm. So we never had to say, thou to me or me to her, God, I wonder what she wanted. No, but still in all, there was this change. Our mother is gone. we were lucky, we were even, I would say, blessed that when mom died, I was 68 years old mm-hmm. and my sister was in her late 60s and mom was 95. We have many, many memories and years and so much to look back on. They mm-hmm. say when an old person dies, a library burns. Well, <laughs> we have a lot of that library. And luckily for me, I'm a writer by training and, and, and by the, it, it's my dearest love yeah. to put words on a page. So this will live on. We're uh, reaching already to the end of the, of the interview here. But before we end, if you were to meet someone who is just now on this journey of caring for someone with Alzheimer's and dementia, what's your advice? What is the thing that you tell people or encourage people to do in order to take care of themselves or take care of others? I would say first, learn as much as you can. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is also good information. Reach out to others. Don't be shy. There are into the millions now of people caring for an elder beloved with either Alzheimer's or some kind of dementia. Talk about it. You may be very surprised to know that someone on your block, it happened to me, um, or in your building, has a similar concern. Um, Talk to your pastor. Talk to your doctor. Talk to a neighbor talk to someone at your school, at your place of work, Um, reach out. The power of story is not just linking us together, but it's the power to comfort us as we tell each other what this journey has been about. Don't be ashamed to be angry, to be enraged. There are bureaucracies that have 
that will not do the right thing. I can tell you that for true. Mm -hmm. And if you do this with open hands and a full heart, mm -hmm. you will discover within yourself and within your family riches which are absolutely intangible and beyond golden. That's a great way to end. Cindy, thank you so much for coming in and sharing pleasure, your story. My pleasure, Chris. It's been a gift. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to share your story, go to caringkindnyc.org slash podcast. Maybe we'll use your story on the show. We'd love to hear from you. Please subscribe to this podcast and leave some glowing feedback. We love positive reinforcement. I'm Chris Doucette, and you're listening to Caregiver Storyteller, produced by Karen Kind, the heart of Alzheimer's caregiving.